G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of the A to Z of Men's Health right here on Good Health Radio. Tony Shebecki with you. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. A big show coming your way. Rob Dalton, the acting CEO of Sport Australia to join us to talk about how Australian men and Australians in general looked after themselves in a lockdown and we're all looking forward to going back to competitive sport, whether it be cricket or baseball or whatever you play, tennis over the summer. We'll find out how we can do that as well when we have a chat to Rob in just a tick. Eddie Callis, our relationship expert, joins us to talk about just exactly that, relationships. Looking forward to doing that with Annie shortly. And Ola Lutzak, of course, we heard her a couple of weeks ago. We'll pick up with Ola on mood food or food for moods. Hmm, interesting. We'll find out what that's all about in just a tick as well. Once again, thanks for joining us right here on the A to Z of Men's Health. Welcome back, Good Health Radio. Tony Shebecki with you here on the A to Z of Men's Health. And organised sport, of course, has been put on hold during the COVID-19 period. But Australians have really sort of turned their focus from playing footy or tennis or hockey or whatever it may be to running and riding and yoga and just staying active. Well, not be it socially, but on their own and to have a chat about that and some of the figures that have come through in regards to that and also getting the public back into organised sport. The man to chat to us about that is Sport Australia Acting CEO, Rob Dalton. He joins us now. G'day, Rob. How are you? Yeah, g'day, Tony. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on board. It's been an interesting six or so months uh, for the Australian public in regards to how we've reacted to COVID-19. But the good news is, is that the majority of Australians have tried to keep fit during this entire period. Yeah, it has been. It's been amazing. And I'm sure you've seen and all your listeners have seen uh, you know, out in the uh, out in the out on the road. You know, I think uh, uh, cyclist retailers have said they've just completely sold out of stock. And um, you know, I, I'd go for a walk with my wife, and you'd have to cross over the road 20 times as you walk with other people navigating their way through social distancing. So, I think it's been a terrific a terrific thing for Australians and recognising the importance, you know, for their own health, not not just the uh, physical side, but also the mental side. In making sure that they do keep active, so you know we're we're really we're really pleased with that. For most of us, especially us here in Victoria, that one hour of walking period that we had for that eight to twelve week uh, lockdown segment was, for most of us, the only social interaction that we actually did have, and the only time that we saw other people apart from our own household. Yeah, and I think you know it was really interesting because people were became so much more friendly. I think if you go back to beyond. Uh, phase one of COVID, uh, you know, I mean, there, there were, you would always find people that were friendly, but gee whiz, it was fantastic being out. Everyone wanted to nod and say hello. And I, I think that that's just a great, a great thing. And it was the great spirit of, uh, you know, particularly Victorians, but Australians as well. It certainly was. So Rob, now that everyone sort of has the opportunity and we're starting to see these lockdown periods being lifted, uh, we have in most states of Australia now, but even Victoria joining in to that party as well. We're starting to see people really getting excited about returning to organised sport. Yeah, look, I I, uh, I drove up the road on Sunday morning at about uh, ten o'clock, and I don't think I've ever been more excited when I saw uh, the uh, the local cricket team out practicing. It was uh, it was just fantastic. I, I just find something. It's something about Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, when you, you just 
you hear the whistles and you hear the uh, the screams for how's that and all those sorts of things. Yeah. I think there's just something special about that. And, you know, I've always maintained uh, personally that, you know, Victoria and Melbourne is a participative state. You know, it's just so much about our fabric and participation in, in different things. So, yeah, I think, you know, look, I'm really excited to see it, you know, get back to, to, to happening. I, I know from my point of view, I've, I'm going to sign up at the local tennis club. I'm going to go and play touch footy. I'm going to do all of these things yeah. that uh, squash, you know, all the things that I've, I sort of haven't done, um, but I'm going to have a go now. I'm going to, I'm going to saturate myself with doing these things. So hopefully everyone, uh, you know, will go and do the same thing because we just, we want people participating for so many reasons, you know, uh, health and, uh, you know, social and all of those sorts of things. And Rob, while adults are very much looking forward to getting back into that social activity, I think having a couple of uh, teenage boys myself, the kids have missed it more than anything. They're the ones yeah. that didn't have a footy season. They're the one that didn't have a rugby league season or a soccer season. And now all of a sudden they've got the opportunity to get back into cricket or baseball and the like, and they'd be jumping out of their skins. I know my boys are. Yeah, well, that's fantastic to hear. And I, I really do hope... Uh, that everyone does get back and all of your listeners and their children, you know, really encourage their kids to get back. We, we, are, we are really concerned about it as a sector, as the sporting sector, because there are so many other things these days that actually fill that void. And we really, we really want people to get back to those sorts of activities. Um, and look, the, the, the signs are really good. I think, you know, many of our sports were predicting anywhere between 30 to 50% drop off in uh, participation numbers. Um, this is, you know, whilst COVID, we were right in the middle of, right in the middle of it. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, with the exception of Victoria, if we actually normalise the results, I think we're pretty much across the country at around 90%. So that is, that, that is fantastic. Where we, are, where we are also missing, and this I think is equally important, is that we're, we're seeing a, a, a very slow return by our volunteers. And as we know, you know, we've got... Uh, uh, we've got something like 3 million volunteers uh, that get involved with things, get involved with sport, you know, every year. And we really need them to return as well. Yeah. And that, and that is the big thing, isn't it? Everyone's jumping out of their skin to play, but in order to play, we need volunteers. We need officials yeah. to go back to their jobs and the like. And, and unfortunately, one of the biggest issues is that because everyone has taken a different path in life over the last six or so months and they may have lost a job, picked up another job, which meant that now they're working weekends or what that may be. Life has changed for so many people. Yeah, it has. And look, we're really challenging the sports sector to be more flexible. You know, this is the, this is the new way. The old way is not necessarily going to, you know, continue. So, you know, we need to be more flexible. We need to provide, uh, you know, many more social options. You know, I don't know about you, but I'd love to go down and have a game of one day cricket, but oh, I don't yeah. really want to commit to playing a whole season, you know, and, and our fee structures for our sports are all structured around people paying for a whole year. Uh, my son lives overseas and he came home, he's a hockey player and he came home and uh, uh, the club said, well, how many games are you going to play? And he said, I'm here for one game before I return to Holland. Uh, and they wanted to, you know, charge him $600. So, you know, that's, well, it's just that, that, that's just the way that they operate, right? I mean, and they, and and there was common sense, but, you know, we have a lot of people who come in and say, yeah, look, I, you know, the structure that I have in my life just means that I'm, I'm available for one, two, six games. uh, And we need to be able to be flexible to actually deal with that stuff as well. 
Rob, I know you're dealing with uh, governments at federal and state level in regards to funding for local organisations. And it's hoped that that money then gets passed down to the clubs as well. And, and I suppose it will be to the extent that I have heard of uh, local organisations, Baseball Victoria I know is one, that is cutting their fees, if not to zero, but very close to, apart from insurance fees maybe, for their juniors yeah. this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, look, it's... It, um... And look, many of those have been done in conjunction with holding on to funding from last year. So members joined up uh, a bit like our AFL footy clubs. You know, I think that the majority of AFL footy clubs were able to hang on to their membership fees without really fulfilling a service. Yeah. Um, and, and I know some of the states, some of the, some of the sports have said, well, look, we just want to stay in the game. You know, 2020 is the, is what it's all about. And uh and, you know, we'll, we'll make some modifications in 2021 to get people back to, to really playing. The other thing that's really important is, um, you know, some states like New South Wales have been just so, so good in terms of creating voucher systems for, for discounts on, um, for discounts on, uh, on membership fees. And that's, um, you know, that's another outstanding thing that, uh, that we really need to get people back playing sport. It's just to, you know, do I, don't I, do I, don't I. I think we all have, it sounds like your kids are the rusted ons, you know, the ones that are gonna be there every, every week and every year. Um, but we, as we know, it's not necessarily just the rusted ons, it's the ones that make up those team numbers and, you know, a really good social, social participants, both in juniors and in seniors, that we really want to come back and because uh, they play an incredibly valuable part in, uh, in, in sport. Well, we also know, Rob, is that, uh, and we are speaking to the Sport Australia Acting CEO, Rob Dalton, life at sporting clubs are going to be very different as well in 2021 in regards to how we actually play our sport. There's still social distancing, which plays a very big part in that the social opportunities that we would have maybe in club rooms won't be there as much yeah. as they used to be and the like. So I think that's something else that clubs will need to get their head around is that where they may, where they may have made money in the past, maybe they need to look at different areas now, bringing money into the club. It's going to be a real challenge, Tony. Um, there's no, there's no question because, uh, you know, clubs run on a, on a really tight budget. Um, you know, they rely incredibly uh, on their, their canteens and incredibly on their social functions you know, to be able to provide that top up, you know, many of the many of the sports are paying for ground hire and lighting and different things just to be able to survive. So, you know, it's going to take some creativity, but also some patience from our supporters and our, our participants themselves in that, you know, these are unique times. We will get back to, to balancing balancing things out. But what I can say is that the biggest way that we can actually support sports in being able to make ends meet is to get more people playing, because we can we can we can share the burden. Um, you know, if we were used to run at our 100 percent, goes up to 120 percent. Well, that means that the 120 percent is cheaper than the 100 percent, and so we can actually really help. The worst thing we can do is to all say, "Well, I'm not going to play this year, and I'll wait and see what it's like when I come back." Uh, so I'm really encouraging people to get back and play, uh, bring their friends along. And do whatever they can to get the numbers up so that you know our sporting infrastructure remains intact and uh, the great history that we have with sport you know remains and i suppose it's incumbent on all of us as people who participate in sport to go out there 
and fill up those voids that you're talking about. The report that I spoke about at the start says that most Australians over two thirds returned to at least one of their organised sports. That means 33% didn't. So let's not leave yeah. it up to our committeemen and our coaches to jump on the phone and try and find these other guys. Let's do it ourselves. Let's ring up our mates and say, come on down, mate. Come on. We had a great time last year. Let's do it again. And, and let's all take that responsibility of filling up our teams right throughout this summer period. Yeah, look, that, that, they're great words, Tony. I'll put you on our, uh, I'll put you on our uh, soundbite list to get people, uh, get people back. I, I think it is incumbent on all of us. And re remembering, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, dominated by volunteers in terms of our sports and, and you know, getting on the phone and saying, uh, come back and play, come back and play is an incredibly time-consuming process. And we're all time short now time poor correct so you know it, it's it's so critical that we do support the you know particularly in um you know regional regional uh, australia uh which relies we all know you know how important sport is to uh to regional australia and so you know we we all need to do our bit we need to get back we need to understand that that things are different um i, I think it was just incredible really the uh uh, the support that our our participants and our members have given to our clubs across the board, and and yes, there's been some some people that didn't didn't want to pay, and that that's that's all fine. But by and large, when you look at the AFL teams, um, I know many of our you know my my local sport, you know Hockey Victoria, you know many people left their money in and said, you know what, you know I I prefer to have Hockey Victoria continue on to be able to run the game than me to get my hundred dollars yeah. back. And, and that's, a, that's a really important thing. No, exactly right. Our local councils also, Rob, play a big part in this as well. Of course, they run the grounds and they charge the club's fees for grounds. Has there been discussion with local councils in regards to some sort of uh, fee freeze for at least the next 12 months? Yeah, can I say, uh, look, early on, in we, we created some... Um, uh, some principles, some return to uh, return to play principles, or a toolkit that we created. And one of the things was to to get in touch with your local council. Uh, we did it from a national perspective, and I'm I'm just so proud to say that every state, you know, took took that initiative and just ran with it. And uh, you know, I think along with um, you know the similar to what we've had with our landlords, you know, councils have been just incredible. Um, you know the the various uh, facilities that are that are available. You know that haven't been able to be used indoor facilities, outdoor facilities, uh, and they've really been able to give uh, you know contribution holidays, you know to those particular venues. So we we just can't thank the councils enough. Everyone's chipped in. You know this is this is as good as Australia gets. You know keeping the 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 whole sporting sector going. I think our our federal government has done a terrific job with JobKeeper. Yes, we haven't had a specific sports package because the sport have been so benefited by JobKeeper. It's been terrific. And all of our, our sports, you know, have really been able to survive and survive strongly through that. I think there's been a, a, a bit of discussion around, uh, around uh, solvency of some of our local sporting clubs. But, Tony, I, I haven't seen it. You know, I've spoken to every one of our state, uh, our, our state sport and rec departments around whether they're seeing any, uh, any increase in insolvency and it just hasn't happened. So that's just an incredible, uh, an incredible regional result that everyone's just chipped into it for each other. I think the other congratulations to councils also need to be in regards to the fact that our sporting grounds haven't been used 
for the best part of six months, they did a lot of work on a lot of grounds. And yeah. some of the grounds yeah. around our suburbs are looking the absolute <laughs> best they've ever looked. If ever you wanted to play sport yeah. and play on a, a beautiful cushioned surface, now is the time. Oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, I was walking across our local ground at Bo Morris uh, and they've, they've done everything. They've aerated, they've, yeah. they've fed, they've done, <laughs> they've done the whole lot and the, and the local Bowie cricket team, they, they're just going to have this magnificent ground. There's no, no patch hangover from, uh, from the AFL season. Yep. It's uh, terrific, terrific. Uh, it certainly is. Moving forward, is this an issue that we're going to have, Rob, for the next 12 months or is it an issue that we really need to work with now for probably the next three to five years? Yeah, look, I, I think it, it's a it's a catalyst for a number of things. I mean, one is that you know we've we've realised as a sports sector across the country we we have got some issues, right? We this hasn't all been plain sailing, and we've you know we've had some issues in making sure that we've been incredibly coordinated, uh, as you would know, and as your listeners would know, we've got we've got three levels of sport. We have community clubs, which is where the grassroots happen. That's that's you know they put on the they put on the show and then we have our state sporting organizations uh you know who make sure the infrastructure is right and the competitions are run and uh you know got umpires and and then we've got our national sporting organizations and and of course when you think about you know three tiers you know we have three tiers of government and there's been lots of challenge and we've seen you know we've seen over COVID the the difference you know strength that uh that you know the state government have had the local government have had and the and of course the um, the federal government. So we, we've got some work to do to be able to get that sorted out. And uh, I'm hoping that, that that COVID has been a catalyst to do that, but it is a, that is a big job. In terms of recovery, um, you mentioned uh, baseball, you know, and baseball is a really uh, rapidly rising sport. I know Cam Vale down at uh, yeah. Baseball Australia is doing a terrific job trying to expand the sport into Asia and bring Asia to Australia. Um, so those sorts of initiatives, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, Rowing Australia, my good friend Ian Robson, who you may know, yeah. uh, you know, formerly from Hawthorne, Essendon and, and uh, Victory, uh, just he, him and his team have done some amazing initiatives to get people back. Uh, you know, they've done a row to the moon contest. They've done all sorts of things. They're really, they're really driving their, their indoor rowing concept to get people playing. So, so some of these initiatives are just fantastic to get people back to being able to engage so not just in your traditional uh whole year round sport but being able to do what i call social sport uh which is being really demanded on us now you know the uh you, you drive through europe and you see the foosball games in those yep. in those courts all over the place uh you go down to monash university and you see people playing you know, two-on-two basketball, three-on-three basketball. Our sports have to be really innovative to get people back playing uh, in all sorts of different things and then be able to create a commercial model so that it's not too expensive, but it means that we continue to put the coffers in the bank. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at cycling, I don't know if you're up to the latest with cycling, but we have so many road warriors around the country who are riding uh, and we've just seen uh, some incredible work by Cycling Australia who have merged all of the cycling bodies. So the BMX mountain bike and cycling have now been merged Excellent. together into one organisation. So it, it's this sort of innovation which makes me proud of, you know, being in the sector uh, and people trying to 
find ways for us to make up that ground and become uh, become elite in everything we do. And a final one for you, Rob, before we let you go. We, we speak about the physical benefits of organised sport and the like, but if as important, if, 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 no doubt as important as the physical benefits is the mental health benefits of organised sports and that camaraderie ship, that mateship, that, you know, doing that sort of stuff with other blokes and other girls and as families and the like, it is so important for our day-to-day health physically and mentally is organized sport. Oh, Tony, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a sportsman from way back and uh, you know, I, I can't stress how much personally, you know, I, I, I miss sport. Um, there were, you know, in the last nine months of being in this role, there were some dark moments, you know, 14 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, and not being able to go and play golf, which is which is my thing at, at my age, and not being able to do that uh, was just was just incredibly challenging. And, um, you know, it, it uh, it's something that's just so important, mental health, you know, go and go and talk to people, go and see a friend, go and go for a walk, go and have a hit of golf, hit a tennis against the brick wall, whatever, it's just, it's something that really gives people, I, I think, some, some hope that they're, they're doing something else because um, I think through COVID, there were many that had very dark moments and, uh, you know, I mean, no one's immune to it. I, you know, I, I found myself saying exactly the same thing and I, I, I figure I'm a pretty outward sort of guy. So, um, you know, really, really important for this. And I congratulate you and the, and, and the network for, for what you're doing. It's uh it's fantastic. It really is. And, uh, you know, you're a champion for doing it. Thank you so much, Rob. Really appreciate your time today. Look forward to catching up with you again down the track. I'm sure other topics will come up across that uh, we'll be able to have a chat about. But uh, let's get everyone back into organised sport. Let's have a fantastic summer of it. And uh, let's get out to our local ovals, support the kids, support our mates and uh, get back into some sort of normality. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Tony. Rob Dalton joining us here on the A to Z of Men's Health. We'll take a break and back with more right here on Good Health Radio. Hi, I'm Johnny Hay. I'm proud to announce that I'm the ambassador for the Male Hug. The Male Hug raises awareness and provides support for men's mental health. We encourage men to chat in a safe, friendly, non-judgmental environment. Keep an eye out for our Let's Chat program. Find out more at themalehug.com.au. Welcome back. Good Health Radio. Tony Shebeki with you with the A to Z of men's health and time to speak to our relationship architect is how we describe her. Her name is Annie Kellis. And when you want to know something about relationships, this is the lady we speak to. Annie, good day to you. Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to, to be here. And uh, yes, I look forward to where this is going to take us. Oh, it's going to take us to a lot of different places, I'm sure, Annie. But first of all, let's explain that title, Relationship architect. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, relationship architect, I, I, just, I call myself an architect because uh, first of all, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a, like a therapist. I'm not a, um, um, you know, counselor. a counselor or psychologist. So I don't have that kind of qualification. I've got a different type of qualification. So, and I help people build stuff. So I, I don't deal with he said, she said, you know, the past, I help people deal with, with their resentment and their fear and, their, and the hurt within their relationships. And then I help them 
reconnect to themselves, their own individuality, and then I help them bring romance back into their lives. And the amazing thing about it is, is that it is such an appropriate title for a relationship, to, to have a relationship architect and to help help have someone help you build on your relationship is so important because while we've, most of us have been doing it for a long, long time and we've either been married for 25, 30 years or we've been involved in relationships and the like, we don't have all the answers. And sometimes it's so important to have someone who's removed from the situation that you find yourself with your partner to help you rebuild what obviously has been a successful relationship in the past because you're still together. Well, that's right. It is successful. And that, but that there's other people that feel that they're not successful because perhaps they have, you know, many disagreements and they think, oh, this is not working. But they're still together and they're still at it. So people, I think, don't understand that they actually triggers to each other and they're actually a gift to each other because this other person came into your world to make you a better person. Yeah. Right? I, I, I look at it, Annie, as if, it's a brick house, a relationship. And every now and then cracks will start to appear in the house, especially over time. The longer the house gets or the older the house gets, cracks will appear because the foundations start to rock a little bit, things happen and the like. None of us are expert plasterers or bricklayers. So yeah. we need to bring someone in to help us to cover up the cracks and to fill in the cracks and to make the house a proper looking home again. And that's exactly what you do in your role. Well, that I actually, you know, that I came up with the word architect um, because I was looking at my, when I created my methodology, I sort of sat back and I thought, so what does this methodology do? And the methodology was based because I, everything that I share, teach, coach, whatever, is based on my personal experience of my growth from being a very down and out and unhappy individual to being happy, fulfilled, content, and at peace. And I think, and that this is what most people want to have that peace of mind and harmony, right? So the whole methodology is based on what were the key elements that helped me go from here to there. And, uh, and then I thought, so what is this? And I said, well, these are foundational pieces that we got to understand about ourselves as a human being, as an individual. Yeah. And then I said, Okay, so what does foundation mean? So I love words. So I'm forever looking up words and what they mean and look in the thesaurus for synonyms and all that kind of stuff, right? And antonyms, uh, and is that how you say antonyms? Sometimes my English, yes, it, yep. it gets the better of me, right? And the pronunciation. And then when I looked up the definition of foundations and it relates, usually they related to a, a building, a house. So it is the most important piece of, a, of any building because it's what holds up the building. And I thought, wow, yeah, there you go. And why? Because you've got the elements, the nature's elements that hit it all the time. And I say, well, wow, I build the foundations for people's relationships. Well, I help them. Well, I don't build them, actually. I help them build and create their own foundations so that when the storms of life come, then they've got the solid foundations. And there's always storms coming. There's no doubt about that. Life is always throwing us curveballs. And 2020 has been a, an extremely stressful life for a lot of us and has put a lot of stress on relationships. 
everyone is probably at work pretty hard at the moment, I would think, to, to try and get over 2020 and make sure that relationships and their, their partnerships work through into 2021 and beyond. Yeah, and you know, like, I, I can't even imagine the number of people that are going to be going for the lawyers after this. I mean, if you go back, I don't know if anybody remembers the in a newspaper, you know, when uh, in China, they finally, because they were the first lot that were in lockdown. And when the lockdown was released, about 300 people in one province turned up in line at, at the council to get a divorce because they wow. couldn't handle it. 300, I mean, in, in just one province, right? So the thing is, is that we, we as human beings, we, and, and the way we live now, we do lots of different things. You know, you know we go to work, we, then we go shopping, we go here, we meet with friends, and then we spend a certain amount of time with our partner. But now all of a sudden, all those other connections that we have in general are not there anymore. And then we want the same fulfillment that we have when we meet with our girlfriends or you meet with your mates, you go to the pub, you watch a footy game, scream your lungs out and you go home, you're good because that's your release. Yep. Um, whereas now you go home and then you watch the footy, you're, you're yelling, she doesn't like it or she wants to sit and watch a romance, you want to watch Fast and Furious, and all of a sudden it's like, it becomes an argument, but it's not a, an, an intentional argument. It's just, you're together 24 seven. And the reality is that one person cannot fulfill all your needs. Just not. No, uh, not emotionally, that's definitely right. You need it, it, it what do they say, it takes a village? Yeah, it would take a village. And the thing is, same with the children, you know, children are exposed, especially those people that had uh, younger children. It's like my, say, for example, my son is 19. He don't care. He hangs out with his friends and, and he doesn't need mom or dad for that matter because he has his friends. That's, that's all that matters to them at this age group. You know, teenagers, they, their friends mean more than anybody else because their friends get them right yeah but the little ones who run around mama mama dad 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 you know what i mean and and also homeschooling i mean we we are not teachers it's not what we do and we still try and and if if some people had the the good um 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 I don't know what the, there's a word I'm looking for right now, but the, the fortune, yeah, good, the good fortune to work from home that they still kept their positions and stuff like that. They still have to do the work to provide, yeah. right? But then you have the kids. So all of a sudden, all this extra pressure was put on them. Yeah. So I really feel for, for all these people out there that just got thrown into this world, whirlwind, you know, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. been very tough. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we over the over the next few months, over the next year or so, we're going to come up with a, a lot of solutions and a lot of uh, things that people can use practically in their relationship. But I suppose the big question for me to you right at this point in time, Annie, yeah. is what makes a healthy relationship? Well, there's a few key elements to it. Um, first of all you need to really understand your own values 
that really understand them. Because when I ask people, what are your values? Give me, give me quick now, drop it. Your top five values. And they go, um, uh, well, um, loyalty, um, respect. And then you go, okay, you don't know your values. Yeah. Um, I said, these are things that you want. I said, is these things that you want from another? And they go, well, you know, I want somebody to be loyal to me and I want somebody to respect me. I said, no, but values are your fundamental principles of your behavior and how you show up in the world. Do you know what that is? Do you know what really matters to you? So they kind of go, no. So that's a kind of exercise I do with them. And when they discover it, everything kind of falls into place for them. They're going, oh, I get it. So then they also get why they get so upset when their partner or anybody else triggers them because if it's not in line with your values there's a clash and then the next key element after that is what I call a code of honor which is um, other people call it uh, boundaries which is a code which is a set of rules you know like in the army and the navy they have a code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the code is there for how you show up how you show up under stress how you show up in uh, in conflict, how you show up in in behavior, and this is huge in a lot of teams in corporate environments too. Why teams don't work because they don't have a code that everybody abides by and holds the team together. So as a marriage, you're a team. So what holds you together? You got to know the values of yourself as an individual, and then how you bring those your individual values together for the common good of the family, right? Yeah. And then you have you have the rules around it for yourself to protect you from yourself, because when you give up your um, uh, when you don't um, support your values and you don't take care of your values, then you give them up. And then you hurt yourself along the way. So once you have your code for you, then you guys bring it together and you create a code for your family unit. The biggest thing for me in making a healthy relationship is the word understanding. And it works in relationships between husbands and wives. It works in relationships between mums and dads and their kids. Everyone needs to understand where everyone is situated in the world and, and what buttons being pushed turn people into a certain type of person and we know that we know that you know by doing something people will react in so many different ways people need to understand that and then when they have a conversation or a or a disagreement or an argument whatever it may be they need to understand not to push those buttons to inflame the situation i think that for me to have a a healthy relationship that's important i don't want my kids to know what ticks me off and then when we're having a discussion they just push those buttons knowing that i'm going to fight back because that's no way to have a relationship because we're not going to have a proper discussion that's unfair but you see you know the reason that well, let's say let's say in this example if they do that or if in a, a relationship the partner knows that that gets the other person's back up I guess the other person's got to start to think, okay, there's a reason why this person is doing this. And then you take, you take responsibility for figuring that one out because we always, we always get to want the other person to do the work to make our life easier. So what I found is I decided 
like my marriage wasn't working. So I thought, okay, I didn't like my own behavior. And so I went to figure out what it was. And then as the years went by, and even though the marriage did, in the end, I just went, well, okay, it, it's, it's done. But I continued the, the learnings. And as I was discovering things about myself, I started to realize that my behavior towards him came from a certain space that had nothing to do with him. Mm. So for the last, we've been separated now four years. Every time I have a discovery, I go and I own up and I apologize. And I say, I'm so sorry I did that. I fully understand now what you meant back then, right? And what does that do? I guess it's an acknowledgement for him and what he does with that, well, that's not on me. That's it. He, yeah. Whether he accepts it or if he doesn't, that's on him. But what that does for me is creates a freedom, an internal freedom. And my message to the world is that uh, forgiveness is freedom. you got to forgive yourself and then you can forgive others because you really get, you really get it at your own core that if you didn't know, you didn't know. So you can't be upset with yourself that you didn't know. Just no. accept it and just go, look, it was what it was. But what can I do now to make it better? If I hurt somebody, is there something I can do to turn that around? Now, again, it's up to them to say what well, not, you know, and they keep going and holding on to that angst. But that's on them. That's not on me because I am yeah. willing to do whatever it takes to turn it around. And if they say, yeah, actually, could we have a coffee or whatever, you know, you, whatever the situation. Yep. Sure. So other, that, sorry, Annie, go. So that's when you step into service. So when we step into service to serve others, all of a sudden we serve ourselves anyway, because it comes with a beautiful level of fulfillment and contentment that you put a smile on somebody else's face. And I think in relationships, that's what's missing. We as human beings are selfish, but yeah. we, can be, we can be nobly selfish where we take care of ourselves in order to take care of others and then step into service. Because if you have nothing to give, then what are you going to give anyway? So you gotta Good you gotta point. fill you up first and understand what moves you and what is important to you, because from that space of joy, you're gonna be able to give to others, your partners, your kids, your other family members. Yeah. The other part of understanding that I think is really important is that, and if I was to give any advice to young kids in their 20s who may have just got married and the like and they came to me and they said what piece of advice could you give me in regards to how I can have a long and successful marriage my wording would be <coughs> excuse me understanding that we all change over time the person that you know today is not going to be the same person that you know tomorrow and every day for the rest of their life we change different stresses different pressures different things that happen to us make us a different person every day of our life every minute of our life we change and I think people just need to understand that people will uh, I, I hate it when I hear someone say you're not the same sort of person that I knew 20 years ago well you're damn right I'm not a lot of water has gone under the bridge there have been work pressures there's been family pressures there's been financial pressures there's been sporting pressures there's been every 
pressure you can think of. Of course, I'm a different person. You've got to understand that. That's right. But, you know, I, I usually said to, I ask people, I go, well, are you the same person who you were when you first met? You know, you know for example, when I, I, I talk to couples or they're interested in working with me. And I said, would you agree that now at 45, you are a different person from when you were 20? And they go, yeah, of course. I said, so therefore, this is the time to redesign your life, who mm -hmm. you are today. Because if, I, if we sit there talking about what happened and all the things that happened in the last 25 years, you know, due to all the stresses that were outside, inside, whatever, I go, we're just going to be wasting time. Correct. Do you want to create your life with who you are today and then for the next 50 years? Because if you actually find the right foundations, and this is the thing, I don't know about you, but back in the day, you know, you know, when you meet your partner and you're in your early 20s or whatever, nobody sits down with you. You don't even think about, oh, let me go and find out what are my values, what are my rules around it, what are my goals, what are our goals together? Okay, what does responsibility mean? Or am I really being present? Do I have rituals for my life that uphold me and pick me up in the morning? Do I, am I capable of forgiveness? Everybody's capable, right? Mm. Do I want to forgive? Or do I want to just hold on to it like luggage, right? Yep. So, so there's some very key foundational pieces. And I said to them, okay, you didn't have that then. Maybe if you're Catholic, you know, you might have to go and have a chat to the priest. But, you know, what, what do you learn in one or two sessions from a priest, right? Right? You can learn certain things, spiritual things, but I don't know what else, right? Yeah, correct. So now you, this is work you get down and you get to know you and you get to fall in love with yourself and you know why you do things. And all of a sudden you start to see the glory of the other person because you're hearing what is important to them. And then if you love someone, as you said, understanding is key and that comes from communication. And I still remember years and years ago when I used to tell my, my former husband, we need to talk, we need to talk. Oh, talk, 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 and the word communication. Oh, you want to communicate again? Yes, because unless you talk, what do you do in a business deal? You talk. Negotiate. You don't, yeah, but that's, it's talking, right? Yeah, you correct. Just, you just, just turn up and sit there and look at each other and you go, okay, now the other person knows what I want. So here's a word, negotiation. I'm so glad you brought it up because there's the word, um, um, see, I don't even know the word. There you go. Because I, I talk about compromise, right? In a yep. relationship, people compromise. But if you really look up the definition of compromise, it's where one or both parties miss out on something. Whereas when you look at negotiation, in a business deal, People negotiate back and forth, but they have room for movement. And the negotiation stops when both parties get what they want. So why can't we bring negotiation back into the home, back and forth, back and forth, have a little bit of room, buffer here, there for movement, right? And then come to an agreement, right? It's, uh, it, it's amazing why we can't. And I think people just perceive that there's probably a lot more at stake so they dig their heels in and forget the negotiation part, but it's like business. Negotiation, you win, I win, everybody wins. It can't be a bad thing. Annie, we've run out of time today and I'm so sorry because we could have spoken for the next 40 minutes. 
Of course we, we will, can. We will continue our conversation regularly and I really look forward to it. If people want to follow your uh, your teachings and your learnings, and there's plenty of them around that you do, they can follow you on Facebook? Yes, they can just find me under Annie Kellis. I've got two. I've got um, my <clears throat> the one where everybody tends to show up, which is Annie Kellis. And then I also have Annie Kellis Relationships Architect. Beautiful. Uh, my Beautiful. website is being built and I think it's, we're going to go live in two, in two weeks. So I'm a bit excited about that. Excellent. But people can just follow to gauge the things that I, I talk a lot about mindset, like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she certainly does. Jump on Facebook if you're on there and uh, check out Annie Kellis and uh, find out what she is all about. Good, great stuff, Annie. Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it and look forward to chatting to you again soon. Me too. Thank you so much. Till next we'll take, time. We'll take a break right here on Good Health Radio. Hi, I'm Johnny Hay, Ambassador for the Mail Hug. At the Mail Hug, our aim is to tackle the stigma associated with men's mental health. Talking is a key way to help with feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and being overwhelmed. It's okay not to be okay. If you need someone to talk to, let's chat. Visit www.themailhug.com.au and see how we can help. And joining us for a chat is our program dietitian, Ola Lutzak, who joins us now. Hey, Ola, how are you? Hi, Tony. I'm doing really well, thank you. Fantastic. We've got a really important topic that we're going to talk about today, and it's important because food plays such a, a major part in our life. We spoke last week about our diets and, and all that sort of stuff, and we'll continue to speak along that line, but food and our mood is really important. What we, I've heard the saying, what we eat is what we are. Is that right or something like that? We are what we eat. We are what we eat. Does that sort of drill down to our mood? Our mood is what we eat? Yeah, well, incredibly, we've, we've always kind of thought that there's some kind of a link between what we're eating and how we're feeling. But um, it's not until recently that we've actually started to see some research in that area, which is really exciting. So we're starting to learn more about how, how food can actually impact our well-being and our mood. I've, I know that uh, drink can affect our mood, especially alcohol. I was going to say, what kind of drink, Tony? <laughs> especially alcohol. So we eat differently depending on how we feel or we eat to change the way we feel. And, and I know that probably sounds the same, but I, to me, there's a difference. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. And definitely, I guess, when when our mental health is impacted, it is, it's very easy for our diets to, I guess, slip and for us to make poor food choices. Um, and I'd love to chat to you about these studies that, that were done because it really shows that, you know, putting people that had major depression um, and, and having some nutritional intervention really significantly changed their mood, but then also that led to more ongoing, sustainable, healthier habits. So it's, it, it is a, like an inverse, I guess, correlation that one affects the other. And um, But it is, I guess, in the past, we've always used things, you know, we've always relied on uh, counselling and, you know, maybe psychologist intervention, uh, medications to help yeah. manage mood um, and depression and anxiety and you know I guess we know that males maybe aren't as great as always 
reaching out for help and support. And it's nice to know that there is, you know, food can be one other tool that we can use that can actually, you know, potentially have a, a pretty significant impact. Um, obviously, hopefully alongside some of those other things, but again, it, it can be just a good, um, I guess, an alternative as well for, for some people to, to help um, with some of these mental health symptoms they might be having. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about polyphenols, antioxidants, perbiotics, probiotics, all that sort of stuff. All that good stuff. All that good stuff that we can pack into our diet. Well, first of all, let's have a chat about how important the issue of food is for mental health for men in Australia. Mm. Well, just starting with mental health alone, I mean, we can probably, um, we, you know, the last six to eight months, I think across Australia, a lot of people have have probably had a dip in their mental health to some degree, obviously with um, going through COVID, everyone's had some kind of additional stress in their life. But I was looking at the Beyond Blue website and there were some pretty incredible statistics. And I mean, you know, one thing, mental illness is one of the, the biggest causes of disability across the world. Yeah. Um, I saw on the website that one in eight men will experience depression at some point in their life and one in five men will experience anxiety so that wasn't um looking at australian men so you know about you know close to 20 or 20 percent there um but the one statistic that was really quite incredible was that six out of the eight um average suicides in australia each day are men so 75 percent which, you know, was really incredible. And that's nearly double the national road toll. Um, so really, you know, incredibly sad and something that, again, hopefully if we have more tools and more, um, more things that we can look to help improve our mental health, then I think it's something we can hopefully, you know, it's something we can look at, we can all look at doing to improve our mental health, um, regardless of whether we suffer with, you know, mental illness or not. The amazing thing about it is, is that, these stats normally generally only get updated yearly. So I'd be interested to see in another six months time, well, and, and I'll be horrified to see in another six months time, just exactly what those numbers are, because I assume as, as many people do that those numbers will go up substantially due to uh, what we've gone through in the last six to eight Absolutely. months. And so I have so many friends and colleagues that work in that area of psychology and they have, they have their waiting lists have just yeah. are off the charts. They've, they've, you know, they're so busy right now, which is, you know, showing how many people are needing that additional support. Yeah, exactly right. Well, so what diet changes then can we make for ourselves to try and help improve our mood? Tony, I'm not going to tell you that yet because okay. first, <laughs> I would love to, well, what I'd love to do is I'd love to show you the research that was yeah, done. And from that, we can look, we can learn and look, look at that research and really learn what, what was done in this research, what were the outcomes, and what can we learn from it and use to, to help, um, you know, better our own health. So All right, because are, this are is you happy for me to dive in and, and talk research is, with you? Because this is an interview, which is question and answer. Let me ask you, is there any research that shows the diet can actually assist our mental health? Oh, look, I'm so pleased that you asked that. <laughs> uh, look, like I mentioned before, we always knew that food can positively impact mood, but um, we've got this awesome 
research that was actually done here in Australia. So here in Victoria, um, we've got some something called the Food and Mood Centre. Is this the, this is a Deakin University, isn't it? Deakin University, yeah. exactly. So they did some great research. So often with nutritional studies, they're often observational. We look and see what people are doing. But these studies were randomised control trials, which are, it's just another level of um, the quality of study that's being um, looked at. So we're, we're looking at two different, well, we're putting people into two different groups and really seeing what the difference is between yeah. those groups. So these studies were done in 2012 and between 2012 and 2015. And what they did was they, they took uh, Australians that had you know, clinical depression, so severe depression. And what they did was they gave one of the groups a, a diet intervention where I believe it was three months. They made changes to their diet, which I'll talk to you about what they were in a little bit. But they found that people who, people that were in that diet intervention group who made changes to their diet, a third of people that were clinically or, you know, had major depression actually had full recovery of their symptoms. Wow. So they came out of depression just, just really based on um, changing their diets. So that was about 8% in the, the non-diet group saw improvements over Can time. I ask, was that, that was staying on their medication as well? Does it, spe does it specify that? Or was it coming um, off medication? There was, was very strict uh, criteria as to who could be in the intervention group. Okay. Um, to be honest, I can't quite remember. Look, I, I imagine if they were on medication, they would have to stay on yeah. medication. Um, I'm not sure whether medication was an ex excluded from the... Um, those on medication were excluded from yep. the trial. I can't quite remember. That's okay. Um, but they one, one thing they did, and that's the great thing about randomised control trials, is they try and keep everything really consistent. Yeah. What they they try and keep exercise the same. They try and keep um, you know diet the same for those for, for one group, and then change yep. diet on the other. But then everything else, they were giving them. Um, they were having little support group sessions. They were giving that to both groups. Um, but again, they, they showed 8% improvement in the non-diet group and, and about, you know, say 33% in the, Amazing. the diet group, which, which is a great statistic. One thing they also found was that people who started eating more of these, these healthier foods, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, they found that 35, they were 35% less likely to, to develop depression so they saw that correlation, but then also people that were eating a lot more highly processed fried sugary foods were 60% more likely to suffer from depression. So really just showing wow. people that had healthier diets, less rates of depression, and then those that ate poorly were much, much higher, um, I guess, candidates or risk. It makes so much sense though, doesn't it? Well, the other interesting part, they, they showed that it actually, food can change your brain. So there was parts of the brain that they saw were changing based on what people were eating um, and showing certain areas of the brain um, increasing in size, you know, areas that I guess help um, improve our mental health that were changing. And that was, you know, over that short period of time. So now, really what, incredible. Once again, Oliver, and and we'll, we'll say this plenty of times through our chats over the next however long we speak but we're not and I'm pretty sure that you're a fairly big advocate about we're not telling people not to eat this sort of food 
we're just saying eat it as a minimal thing. Do it once a month. Don't do it every second day. Absolutely. Uh, it, it always comes back to those habits. You know, if, we, if we're eating those, I guess, highly processed foods that are just low in nutrients, um, low in all those magical things you said before, the antioxidants, the phytochemicals, we, we, they just don't give us the benefits to our body that we need. So if our diet's filled with, with those things, then, you know, we're just not getting those, those benefits. Whereas if we eat more of the, say the plant-based, you know, fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds, those things, you know, we know are having a really positive impact on our health. So it's absolutely, it's about getting the balance, having more of the good stuff and then keeping the other stuff there as, as treats and, you know, foods to celebrate with and um, foods to enjoy when we feel like them, but maybe not, not having them make up a major part of our, of our diets. When we were put on this earth 20 billion years ago, there wasn't a fast food store in every second corner. So. It certainly wasn't. And, and it's just incredible. Um, you know, now when you walk into a supermarket, just the, the, Oh, just hundreds and hundreds of these processed foods that we have access to, which is pretty incredible and pretty remarkable that we've managed to come up with all these foods. Um, I travelled through Cuba a couple of years ago and walked into the well so-called supermarket and I think there was 30 foods on the shelf. Wow. And it was just that, you know, I couldn't believe that, you know, how, how different our supermarkets looked. They just had their basic staple foods available to them. But even if you, I mean, even countries that advanced as America, there's the availability in the to get fruit and vegetables is really tough. Mm. And it is, it is just something where it, it, you know, marketing, you know, it's a lot easier to sell sugary foods yeah. and and you know delicious fatty foods and you know any supermarket we walk into, we we can see the first. You know, the end of every aisle, you've got half price, you know, chocolates, chips, yep. soft drinks, whatever it is. And, um, and you're right, it is, it's, it's hard to walk past those things and go straight to the fruit and veg section. It is. But we will and we do. And we do it to change our diet so that we can live longer and be happier. So all of what diet changes were made in these studies for people to receive that improvement mm. look amazingly there was nothing i look at what was done and it's nothing there's no magic secret to it it was largely plant-based it's largely you know eating more plant-based foods diversity was important so eating trying to eat a, you know a variety of different foods to get a variety of benefits from those foods and generally the foods that i'm about to discuss they had you know much higher levels of antioxidants and those phytonutrients and you know fiber and things that are going to feed our our yeah. the healthy gut bacteria um so you know I'll, I'll talk you through what it looked like so um they were aiming for three serves of fruit every day six serves of veggies so again nothing magical that's kind of in line with and what are we talking about when we talk about a serve is that like a cup full or what is it Yep. So say a cup of berries would be yep. a serve of, of fruit or okay. a, an, a banana or an apple. Um, a cup of salad is a serve. Yep. But if you have half a cup of cooked vegetables, like a broccoli or carrot or something that's cooked down, it's only half a cup is okay. one serve. 
So if you have a cup of veggies on your plate, that that can often yep. be um, two serves already. But they were having, again, three serves of fruit, six serves of veggies, which is pretty close to what we recommend in our Australian um, healthy eating guidelines. Uh, two to three serves of dairy. They were having about 60 mils of olive oil every day and they were having a serving of nuts. So 30 grams, let's say 15 nuts every day. Yep. Uh, they, I forgot to mention, they were also having whole grains. So rather than having white bread, they were trying to have more, more of your whole grains. So they were having um, between five and eight serves of whole grains. So that was pretty much the base of the diet. And then, so that was daily. And then weekly, they added in three to four serves of legumes. Um, Which are beans, for those that may not Yeah, sorry, beet. Yep, absolutely. So all of our beautiful... Four bean um, mix, yeah. Kidney beans, our, absolutely. Um, all of our beans. Edamani beans. I got it Edamane, right this time. we've yeah. got our lentils, chickpeas, all those beautiful things. Um, still having red meat, but they were having three to four small serves. Okay. Um, so not a big 300 gram steak. They were having more like a, you know, 150 to 200. Smaller than that, probably about okay. 120, um, maybe up to 150 grams, something yeah. like that. Well, with the price um, of beef at the moment, that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were having fish twice a week. Yep. Nice. So that was a big one. Um, and then, you know, sprinkled in, in there was a couple of serves of chicken, um, up to five eggs. And then they were even having um, a couple of extra foods. So, you know, less than three serves of extra food. So an extra food would be that, you know, little bit of chocolate or something. Yep. Uh, but you can see that they're, again, nothing that's really different to what we recommend. But I guess what we recommend is we've shown in the National Nutrition Survey that, you know, only I think it was something like 6.8% of Australian adults eat the recommended serves of vegetables. So it's we're we know what the recommendations are. We're still a little, you know, we're quite a long way away from that. So, but basically they were just eating largely plant-based diets, fruits, veggies, nuts every day. Um, legumes was a big part of their diet, having some fish, some dairy. Um, and that was, you know, eating whole foods made up the majority of the diet. And that was showing really significant improvements in um, our brain function and our mental health. Now, I know a lot of people out there who, are, who might be listening to this are thinking, I'm just not going to do that for every meal. It's just impossible for me to get that opportunity to do that for every meal. So I'm sort of thinking, and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to say, that's fine. Just do it for one meal. And if we're going to do it for one meal, which would be the best meal for us to change our diet totally on its head? The one you can stick to. Yeah. Okay. Whether that be lunch, dinner or breakfast. Absolutely. I yeah. think, you know, one of the best things I always recommend is just write down one day of what you're eating. Just write down one, just one honest day, what you've had throughout the day and have a look at it. Just stop and take a moment to reflect on what it looks like. And perhaps you can choose the meal where you go, you know what, that's, you know, for some people getting, sitting down and having a, a really balanced breakfast might not be an option. So uh, they might choose to focus on their lunch meal or their dinner meal. Uh, you know, for others, they're I don't know, for shift workers, they might, dinner might go out the window and they have to focus more on, on say, you know, the quality of their breakfast, whatever it is. I think absolutely starting with just choosing one or two small things to work on. And I've got a couple of suggestions here that I think um, would be good things to potentially think about. Throw them at us. All right. So again, first thing, I would just write down what you're, what you're doing for a day. Yep. 
And then I'm going to throw a couple of suggestions and, you know, choose what you think you can actually change and stick to, because that's the key, really trying to, to put it in and put it in fairly regularly and for the long term. So don't set yourself goals that you know are going to be very, very hard. Start with the low hanging fruit and go for something you can stick to. All right. So here, here's it. Let's have a quick consult here. All right. I'm a truck driver and I'm out there and I start at six in the morning. I finish at seven at night. So I load up my truck. First thing I do is I have breakfast, which is normally a meat pie or a sausage roll, a, a, a big cup of coffee, and maybe a donut. Comes to lunchtime, I'm on the road, I'm going to get some fuel, so I'll stop and I get myself a schnitzel sandwich in a uh, white roll. I normally maybe throw in with that probably a, a vanilla slice or something like that. And then it comes to dinner and my beautiful wife has cooked me a lovely... 300 gram rump steak with potato and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's my day. All right, <laughs> let's do it. So look, the, um, the studies that were done showed that the more someone changed their diet, the more their, their, their mental health improved. But they did show that even one additional fruit or one additional vegetable had an impact and started to make a difference. So I, I would start with that one thing. So I would say to that, um, this person, I would say, what can you take with you in the truck yep. that is going to add? Because, you know, you didn't hear any fruits or vegetables in there. I would say, what, what are you most likely to take? Can you take one piece of fruit to snack on? Um, can you take one vegetable or yep. maybe one serving of nuts? So they might choose one or two of those things, they might go, yeah, I can bring, I can actually have a, a bag of nuts in the car and I can grab a little handful every day. Um, I can add one piece of fruit. So perhaps instead of, um, I've already forgotten exactly what you had for breakfast, but uh, maybe was it a meat pie and a donut but, and yep. coffee. Okay. So maybe even, um, you know, instead of a donut, you might go for, or you might, they might have smaller donut donuts that you can choose or a smaller little treat, but you know, you might put I, a fruit in. I go for the one with the hole in it because it's less donut <laughs> than the big one. Oh dear. But again, it might be either adding, starting by adding those additional little things, or it might be replacing. It might be every second day we get rid of the donut and we add in the fruit and the nuts. No, I, I, and that's, and that's how easy it can be. Take an apple, take a carrot and what was the uh, and some fruit? Nuts. Maybe, maybe and some, some nuts, yeah. Apple, nuts carrot and nuts and just have, add that to your, your day. And you can and start drink more water. The, the other thing, it, you know, that really, those things help to fill us up. So you might find, well, actually, I don't need the, the whole, you know, the vanilla slice at lunch yeah. with, with my schnitzel sandwich because I've got these other things that are helping to keep me full throughout the day. So, um, again, I would just pick those small little changes. Um, and, yeah, I think that's a really fantastic start. And, and, e then and even that change aisle or even that roll, instead of having the white roll with your schnitzel sandwich, go for a whole grain roll. Perfect. One little change. Can you add? ask for one extra vegetable in there? Can you ask for some, you know, I don't know, some carrot cucumber or, or some carrot, yeah, grated yeah, yeah, carrot yeah. or a vegetable? So some of the other little suggestions I had here was just aiming for a vegetable with lunch every day because most of us, we might get, you know, some veggies at dinner. Often lunch is overlooked. So 
you know, that might be one change, one vegetable with lunch every day or most days. It might be, um, you know, some for some people, the, the focus might be breakfast. So yeah. can I add a fruit or vegetable or say, you know, nuts or seeds to my breakfast every day? So if you're having a big bowl of cereal or some, um, I don't know, some toast, can I add, can I slice some banana on the toast or some strawberries or can I throw some berries into that? Um, and some chia seeds into the, the cereal that I'm having. So a small, easy change like that, adding that plant-based food. Um, the other ones I had was trying to add those legumes, those beans that we know are so fantastic, so, so high in antioxidants, um, even once a week. So it might be you make a stir fry and you have a little bit less uh, say red meat in that stir fry, but you add some tofu or some edamame beans or something like that. So it might Even just a be four a... bean mix in a stir fry is fine. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Same thing with tacos or, you know, add the four bean mix alongside say meat, if you're eating meat yeah. and that way you can have a little bit less meat and more of that plant-based food. That's going to have all of those beautiful nutrients in it. Um, the meat's fine, but we want it paired with the plant-based foods the other suggestions i had were again this this study had a little serving of nuts every day so can you add nuts into your diet twice a week and i would pair it into something what you know is it with when i have my special case cereal or my wheat bix or even nutrigrain whatever it is can i pair it somewhere in my diet um, so that every time i have that food i'll have the nuts with it the, the final one was fish. So we know that omega-3 fatty acids, which are predominantly found in fish, had a really, you know, were really important when it came to um, improving or reducing the risks of depression. So do you eat fish currently? If not, can that be, can you do a fish Friday and once a week start to yeah. have fish? All great ideas, Ola, as always. There was so much more we could talk about, but we won't today. We'll hold it off until next time. I want to, uh, we might even try and continue this a little bit further into our next one and start talking about our drinking also. Not, I'm not talking about alcohol, but even the drinking of soft drinks and coffees and things like that and how that affects our diet. I would love to talk about beverages. I think that's fantastic because yeah. we can talk about um, just even how you know we haven't touched on water at all but how that impacts our bodies talk about those beverages and how they can add up and we can probably throw into the mix alcohol and um, discuss how that can impact um, our bodies and and again set small little goals that might um, you know start to put us um, on track for, for I guess feeling better overall part two of food and mood coming up in a couple of weeks time Ola thanks for your time as always Great chatting to you, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to that next chat. Beautiful. So do I. And thank you for joining us again on the A to Z of Men's Health. We'll catch you again next week right here on Good Health Radio.